This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUreview.com and on your favorite podcast app. On the mean streets of Gotham City, a new breed of supervillains emerges. But deep in the shadows, old school justice awaits. And the Batman, the Cape Crusader, returns in an all-new animated series. The Batman. You won't even see it coming. This is it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 199 of the DCAU Review. I am a one of your hosts, Cal, and with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter account. That's right. He's been maximizing our presence on the internet using those hashtags this week. All t- not at all taking advantage <laughs> of the fact that hashtag the Batman is one of the top trending hashtags every single week. That's right. It's Liam. Liam, welcome to episode 199 of the DCAU Reveal. That is right, Cal. Yes, is it a coincidence that we are happy to be reviewing something called The Batman that features features the Riddler? Uh, and the answer to that question is it's none of your business. <laughs> and uh, please be quiet and enjoy the content. Uh, <laughs> no, we kid. Of course, yes, we thought it would be fun to do a little tie-in here and, and maybe get some... Uh, get a, a look at a show that we've really only talked about a couple times over our now encroaching on 200 episodes of this podcast. And uh, that is, of course, 2004's The Batman, starred in 2004 and ran for several seasons. But yes, this time we're looking at a season two episode entitled Riddled. That's right, Liam. And uh, that last time was actually 100 episodes ago, as uh, as he pointed out before we went on the air here, that uh, back in episode 99 was the last time we covered 2004's The Batman. But yeah, this week we're covering the episode Riddled, as you mentioned. This one does feature the debut or the series debut of Edward Nygma's Riddler, a unique, certainly uh, different take than we're used to, especially when comparing it to the DCAU's version. We'll get into that as we discuss this episode. But before we do, we, of course, have the official Internet Movie Database official synopsis for this week's episode brought to you by, that's right, the Pod Tower. Don't forget, you can follow us on the Pod Tower on YouTube, where you get all of your DCAU review content, including bonus episodes and our entire catalog, alongside our friends at the Watchtower Database and Tim Talk, who also have amazing content up there. Head over to youtube.com slash thepodtower and subscribe. That way you can support us and our friends. Absolutely. And this is the synopsis for Riddled, which was written by Christopher Yost and J.D. Murray, uh, directed by Sam Liu, with music by Thomas Chase Jones. And I could not find an animation company listed, but we will press on with that synopsis that reads as such. Fearing that the Riddler will make good on his threat to destroy the city, the Batman and Detective Yin's secret alliance is put at risk when they must work together to solve a string of riddles that have been scattered throughout Gotham. That's a lot of words. Yeah, you're telling me. Just seem to go uh, on and on and on and on. I had to keep that voice up for that many words. <laughs> Not bad, but could have used a full period stop at some point. 
perhaps a comma or two, uh, maybe an Oxford comma. I don't know. But yeah, I guess the, that will bring us to our, our discussion of the plot for this week, Liam, as we go through our own synopsis. And we start the episode off as uh, Gotham PD is outside of a, a museum, it looks like, and there is the bomb squad heading in. We learn that there is a, uh, a trap set about for the police with what appears to be a series of bombs not actually alien from what something you might see later on in the Batman Arkham games, to be honest. And we'll talk about mm-hmm. that visuals, but these very bright green neon bombs. And it's actually linked to a computer screen. And on the computer screen, we can read that there is a riddle, interestingly enough, or a, a series <laughs> of questions here designed, of course, where if they don't, uh, the bomb squad expert determines that if they do not solve this riddle before the the time ticks down, that they're likely to lose not only their own lives, but many of the lives in the surrounding block as well. Uh, and just as uh, just as that bomb squad expert leaves Detective Yin, who, of course, we talked about in prior episodes, she is the de facto contact that Batman sort of works with for the uh, for, uh, alongside another character that isn't featured in this episode for other reasons, but, <laughs> but uh, he is, she is the de facto character, Batman's contact, sort of the Jim Gordon stand in, or perhaps a, you know, a Re- Renee Montoya type character that mm-hmm. uh, is Batman's liaison and somebody that is his, uh, his ally within, within the, the GCPD, because Batman himself is very much still a, a vigilante and not welcome presence for the majority of the upper echelon of the leadership of Gotham City's police department and above. So uh, it is at this point that Batman, of course, reveals himself to be right there with Detective Yin, and he does his best to solve this very riddle. You know we can't let them see us together. If they do, just tell them I'm your prisoner. When you do not know what I am, then I am something. But when you know what I am, then I am nothing. What am I? We'll be nothing if we don't leave right now. I am a riddle. (sighs) Okay, no one needs to see us run out of here together and I get to keep my badge. Bravo! Someone is very bright. Step into the light. So the Riddler can see you. And uh, and wouldn't you know it, stops it just in time. But as we mentioned, Batman's not allowed to be associated with Detective Yin for fear of her repercussions and per- potentially losing her job. So he ducks back out of the way just as we get a camera reveal and a hologram appearing of this very unique Riddler style for this The Batman series. And uh, he begins to have a conversation with Detective Yin, very impressed with her ability, or he believes her ability to solve this riddle and decides that in fact, it will be a, a sort of game, if you will, for the rest of the evening that he will continue with his riddles until she is unable to solve one yeah and this is a 
it's kind of a yeah the rest of the episodes we'll get to is it's kind of just a series of of uh yin and and batman sort of in the background trying to remain hidden while they they solve these various riddles and various kind of unique set pieces uh, the next one coming up here is uh yin has head, heads to uh, gotham bridge where there's a sort of unmarked van with a uh, special puzzle in the back of it that batman has to help her out and uh, one thing I do like about this episode, narratively speaking, is they kind of took the concept of the old 1960s Riddler episodes of the, the Adam West Burt Ward show, mm-hmm. where it's like the cops are, for the most part, useless uh-huh. um, in solving these crimes, but Batman figures them out in about three seconds most of the time. <laughs> um, yep. And that's mostly, and that actually is probably the best source of comedy in the episode, which is... Uh, playing kind of a so sort of packed Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara into one category here for this for the purposes of this story. That being Chief the re- the recurring Chief Rojas, who of course, as you mentioned, very anti-Batman, just this sort of blowhard, you know, angry, angry, you know, pound in the desk cop who is just completely befuddled by every single riddle, no matter how simple it is. <laughs> Even as Yin and Batman are discussing how some of these riddles, like the one for the bridge, uh, could be solved by a, by a small child. He's completely uh, out of sorts by all of us. So, so I think they kind of had that vibe going on. But yes, as, as Yin arrives and Batman helps her uh, take, uh, start to solve this special sort of tele uh, on a screen, there's some sort of puzzle she has to press different squares in order to solve it and uh in the it looks like the old in- sweeper i feel like is that yes that was based off of yeah i think so and uh while she uh continues to try to solve the puzzle chief rojas and the and some of the other bumbling officers of the gotham city police department show up and unfortunately they are caught on camera by the riddler and so all of a sudden the, uh, the door slams shut and Yin is sort of taken away and this sort of becomes sort of a, an action sort of car chase while Yin continues to try to uh, solve this puzzle with Batman following behind on his glider. Uh, meanwhile, this, this sort of remote control van is, is sweeping through the streets of Gotham. Finally, they're able to, uh, to disarm it and the, the bombs that are all attached to the, to the structure of the bridge are, are seemingly deactivated. And that takes us to our next set piece, which is in fact a museum, and uh, another another set piece here where where Batman and Yin, they're they're still not quite figuring it all out yet, but Batman's beginning to suspect that they might be being sent on something of a wild goose chase. A man builds a house with all four sides facing north. A bear walks past the house. What color is the bear? Facing north. What color is the bear? Knowledge is power. Pity about your hard drive over here. You're ice cold. You couldn't be further from the truth, detective. Oh, now, you're boring me. Boring. Like a drill. Riddler can't resist leaving riddles, even once he shouldn't be. Four sides facing north. Ah! The house is at the South Pole, so it's a polar bear. The answer is white. Taking a risk, aren't you? There are no bears at the South Pole. This riddle has no answer. Riddler cheated? Riddler quit. He's through playing. Dessert gelatin? Riddler's been leading us away from the main course. 
further from the truth all night long. Yes, especially when he starts putting some of the pieces together and remembering the various different uh, clues that appear to be dropping. It's the Riddler. So, and again, this appears to be Batman's first interaction with this character. So he's sort of learning his patterns and realizes that he can't help himself but drop additional clues in some of the dialogue that he's having and the banter back and forth with Detective Yin. So as Batman sort of realizes that the, the final riddle that he's uh, that he's given to Detective Ian doesn't have an answer. He realizes that the Riddler is perhaps give, given up at this point and has led them far enough away for him to be able to complete his ultimate plot. And in this moment, Batman sort of pulls the plug on these pseudo bombs and realizes they're just green gelatin and it's not real actual <laughs> actual bombs in this case so that leads him sort of back to where they originally started which we learn is sort of the housing for the gotham mainframe and we had a sort of this expositional uh discussion between the riddler and batman and detective ian as they arrive back and he gives them sort of his ultimate plan at this point which has been to download the main gotham's mainframe into his brain which i don't think he means his literal brain but sort of of a metaphorical brain when it comes to his own mainframe at that point so that he has control over Gotham's banks and uh, various other aspects of the city power and electricity and all this other stuff so uh, with him being in control over Gotham City in that way then he'll have the power to do whatever he wants to at that point so um, it's at this point that we kind of get our first interaction physically between Batman, the Riddler, Detective Yin, and the Riddler's goons. And uh, they're actually overwhelmed in this moment as the Riddler uses his uh, his staff that he wields uh, and knocks out Detective Yin. And then Batman is sort of overwhelmed by the Riddler's goons at this point, uh, a, a gang of four, six, six, maybe six goons or so. Uh, overwhelm him and, and knocks Batman out also with the same gas. And they're both awakened, sort of strapped into this, this machine that that the Riddler says he's going to use to play this game to figure out, uh, he's going to play 20 questions to figure out just who the Batman's identity is. And uh, he's going to sh pretty much, it's a, it's a game to show just how brilliant he is. Look who decided to join the party. Welcome to my lair, Batman, where questions are answers and Yin is Yang. Cute Riddler, where are we? Why, the same place you've been all night long, Yinzy. Inside my brain. Stop speaking in riddles. Why are we here? There is a living riddle walking amongst Gotham that everyone wants answered. Who is the Batman? You want to know, don't you, Yinzi? <laughs> Too easy. Instead, we'll play a game. Oh, you're gonna love playing shuffleboard in Arkham Riddler. Shh. The game is 20 questions. 20 yes or no's, from which my brilliant mind will deduce the true identity of the Batman. And that's the thing that ultimately, of course, is always the undoing of the of the villains, it seems, especially the Riddler, that regardless of the universe, his his hubris and his reliance and his 
his uh his arrogance and reliance on his own intelligence and being able to outsmart batman is ultimately always his undoing as we learn in this this scene and every question that batman gets wrong is a is a shock of electricity sent through detective yin as he set it up so batman uh, ultimately tricks the riddler into standing in front of this electrical device that shoots the electrical waves into detective yin they trick him into standing in front of it and batman lies at that moment and the Riddler gets shocked. Uh, there's a there's a brief scuffle at that point, but the Riddler manages escape to escape into these tunnels. So Detective Yin and Batman uh, are not done just yet. Just when you think they've they've won, they chase after him further and split up at this point. And realize uh, Detective Yin stumbles upon this room where she discovers the the Riddler's mainframe to be continuing its download. Uh, we see these green uh, downloads of information going into the the Riddler's mainframe, and Batman splits off. And that's kind of where we get the culmination of our third and final act here. Is Detective Yin has to to do her best to fight off the Riddler's goons that she discovers in this room where they're finishing the download and Batman finally gets his hands on a very form formidable foe in as far as hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat in the Riddler. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably our, our biggest action beat of the episode and we'll certainly talk about that in visuals and uh, a bit more in a moment. But yes, we have uh, Yin sort of crawling through a ventilation shaft, making it into this mainframe room and uh, finding herself accosted with no weapons uh, against several of the, the Riddler's henchmen and henchwomen, I guess. And uh, she has to hold her own. Meanwhile, Batman is uh, sort of being attacked as, as the Riddler. And I do really love this bit here where Riddler is still sort of obsessing over that he, he can solve this great riddle of, of who the Batman's identity is. And so he, he's still kind of barking questions at, at, at Batman, even though he's no longer tied up to the machine and he's while sort of also physically attacking him and finally as uh, yin is able to take uh, take down most of the thugs batman is finally able to get the upper hand and knock the riddler down and just when the riddler thinks he has one final uh, trump card to play by sticking his goons on uh, onto batman the the doors open and we see that yin has in fact dealt with all of those thugs and uh, it's, it leads us to kind of the, the finale of our episode here. Uh, Yin is in the back of a uh, cruiser uh, with, uh, with a cup of coffee talking with Chief Rojas. Uh, the Riddler sort of in one last fit of uh, uh, just being a poor sport, as the Riddler <laughs> off, often is in, in these stories. Uh, in fact, does imply to Chief Rojas, who, of course, does not understand, because, again, that's... <laughs> That's, it's that's the entire B riddle. plot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. right. That's that's really the only B plot of the episode is that Chief Rojas can't understand riddles <laughs> and is like constantly squeezing this stress ball because he looks like because he's just so exasperated by all these super criminals. But uh, but yes, he doesn't quite understand it. But uh, Yin does in fact sort of clue him in that uh, the Riddler is suggesting that she is Batman's partner. Pretty swift, Ian. Maybe one day you'll put that big brain of yours onto the whole who is the Batman thing. Chief, you may be interested to know someone on your payroll works hand in hand with the Batman. Oh, yeah? Who? Ask not who in your force works with the Bat. Ask why in Yin, answer it. Why in, Chief? Why in? My name 
Yen. Riddler says it's me. Get this lunatic out of here! Huh? How would he know that crazy psychopath? The Batman wasn't anywhere in sight tonight! Chief Rojas says that's ridiculous and that the Riddler must be crazy and they send him off to jail. And so Yin uh, has a bit of a stay of execution here as her, despite uh, them having to sort of work more, uh, more directly with each other in this episode, her and the Batman's uh, secret partnership remains a secret and the Riddler heads off to jail as we uh, finish our episode for this week. Yeah, the best part is when Rojas says that's ridiculous, and then you kind of get Batman peering over at the end and uh, Detective Ian saying, yes, that's that's reassuring. Yes, so ridiculous. <laughs> Batman, but yeah, um, so I, I guess we can talk about what we liked and didn't like so much uh, in this episode. Um, I will say again, as we'll talk about probably at length in our next category, this is a very different take on the Riddler. Uh, he's much more of a, a formidable mm -hmm. threat, physical threat to Batman. And uh, he looks completely different than probably that we're used to. He's far more reliant on his, uh, his hand to hand combat and the staff that he wields, but it's very much the same Riddler character that we're used to, as, as I mentioned, it's he relies on his intelligence. And that's ultimately his downfall is that he believes he can outsmart not only Detective Yin, but Batman and the rest of the, the Gotham City Police Department um, in order to obtain all of this information and, and control the city through the mainframe. I like that it was I mean, it's sort of a product of its time because it's it's mm -hmm. sort of this deus ex machina story of okay he's going to control the city through the mainframe well what's the mainframe <laughs> the mainframe is just like a it feels very much like a like an early 2000s phrase that was just used as like okay so this is we're going to control the mainframe and that's how he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna control everything bank accounts and electric electrical grid and all of that and it's again very very much a product of its time but it's I like that his his it doesn't it doesn't feel completely out of the realm of something that would be brought into a modern story either. It feels like it could be something mm -hmm. a, a Batman Beyond story uh, if they had perhaps used that uh, that character in the Batman Beyond universe. So I, I do think that the story is perfectly fine in that way. I I didn't see the same uh you know the the old 60s batman bringing that into it that same plot style but after you mentioned it yeah i can definitely see that that that's the same formula that was used then uh and just sort of updated for this so um mm -hmm. it feels familiar but i feel like it has its own take on it with that said it is very much a all right well now they're in this scene and they have to solve this and all right they're in this scene and it doesn't feel at any time uh, with the exception of that final, uh, that final riddle at the museum about the bear, the, what color the bear was, it doesn't really feel like there's the stakes are very high or there's any actual threat of the bombs going off because Batman is so smart and is able to figure these things out so very very quickly. I will also say that it's sort of undercut Detective Yin a little bit. 
Um, although mm-hmm. she she ultimately, I feel like, is sort of responsible for the reason why they ended up getting out of the twenty questions trap when she threw that. Uh, th- tried to tried to throw the Riddler off by telling him who Batman's identity actually was, mm-hmm. um, but it's it she sort of gets undercut as being reliant on Batman to help her solve every one of these, and that sort of makes her feel uh, feel uh, only slightly smarter than Rojas, who's the person that <laughs> you know that couldn't figure any of these out. I guess right. Yeah, I think, and they they do it for like half a, right at the end of the the van, the the minesweeper puzzle, as you said, there's like a moment where Batman tries to give her like the final input to to type on the screen. She's like, I got it, I got it. And she, and so I guess she figured out the pattern for that one, but maybe it would have been cool to see like, there's one of the puzzles or riddles where like Batman, there's interference or something where she can't hear Batman's voice and and she kind of has to figure it out herself. Or when she gets into that mainframe room at the end, like she has to stop the download and and there's one final riddle that she needs to do for the password or something. Like something where she has to kind of figure something out for herself. Right. That would have probably been a little bit more satisfying as a narrative for Yin. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. With that said, though, I, I think this is a it's a perfectly fun 22 minutes. It felt very much like a like a great Saturday morning cartoon and one that you could sit down with, you know, as an adult or as a child and enjoy. There's lots of lots of action. There's lots of intrigue and a lot and, and a little bit of uh, a little bit of intensity at the end there and trying to figure out whether or not they're going to be able to stop the Riddler. And as I said, with, with the Riddler being a physical threat to Batman, there are times, and we didn't talk about it at the beginning of this episode, because we've talked about it in prior episodes when we've covered the Batman, but this is very much an early on Batman year. I think it's year two we discovered or his second year, pretty much as Batman or very early on in his career, maybe the third year. Um, but it's it's very early on in his career, so he's still kind of figuring things out. He's still very much learning how to be Batman and is still coming into his own. So I like that uh, that the Riddler in this case was a formidable foe for him in hand-to-hand combat. And it felt very much like he didn't stand a chance at the end there. So for him to kind of eventually overcome him was was a growth for the character throughout as he finally figured out a way to best him and knock the knock the staff out of his hand and ultimately kind of use it against him. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think yeah, you you still have those those classic Riddler moments. You mentioned that of 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 his uh, of his need to need to be the smartest man and to prove himself to be the smartest man. It's not just that he's smart or that he believes he's smart. He needs everyone else to uh, to believe it too. And so, and Batman. <laughs> oh, and of course, Batman. <laughs> of course. In this case, when he, yes, yeah, as, as you mentioned, when he's trying to solve and, and Yin starts saying that she's going to reveal the identity to him, he gets very, very upset. And as you mentioned, that sort of is his ultimate downfall is that he, his, his need to be, to be the smartest guy, especially as you said, smarter than Batman is, is his undoing. So yeah, that's, that's some pretty universal Riddler stuff there. Um, yeah, like, like I think for all the reasons we've talked about, I like this episode. It's fun. It's a really easy watch. Um, we'll certainly talk more in visuals about how this this version of Riddler is distinct as well. But uh, yeah, overall, I settled on a six out of 10 for plot. I think it's good. I don't think it necessarily breaks a ton of new, new ground as far as uh, a Riddler story or anything. But it is, you know, it's a fun adventure 
And it's, uh, you know, as you said, it's a good way. It would be a good way to spend a Saturday morning in, uh, in the year 2004. Yeah, uh, it's actually the same exact score that I gave it. And uh, six out of 10 for all the reasons that we stated. All right, Liam, moving on to our visuals and animation. As you mentioned, no animation studio credited with this one, is it? I feel like that was the case with a lot of these episodes. But we, of course, do know that this is dubbed the Matsudaverse, as we know, and a lot of the character designs uh, we're, we're done in the same vein. Uh, you can kind of hear our, our whole discussion about that in our very first episode that we covered of this back in the archives at DCAUreview.com. Uh, but, uh, these, all of these characters have their own very unique design, very much so in the vein of the Jackie Chan adventures, because it was the same sort of, uh, character designers that worked on both shows. So if you're familiar with this style, it's very different than what maybe what you're used to in Batman, the animated series, but I love that it has its very own identity and we've talked about it before, I think, but even more so now when you look and, and look back at the Batman, the animated series, so much about that, uh, as we've talked about probably ad nauseum here on this, on this show, so much about that show is iconic. So when you're following up something that is so legendary and so well-known, even at the time, even seven or eight years after it was, it was on the air, which isn't a ton of time, but it had already had this, this like huge following and this huge love. It's such a difficult thing to kind of blaze your own trail at that point. And I feel mm-hmm. like that one of the things that they did was to go out of their way to try and make things as different as possible. And visuals played a huge role in that. And I think looking at the Riddler, you can tell right away, this guy who looks like I don't know, Rob Zombie and Marilyn Manson had a baby or something <laughs> like that. It's he's he's a very interesting styling of character. He's very tall and lanky. He's got this long brown hair. He's got this weird suit that sort of looks like the uh, maybe the last suit that we saw the Riddler wearing in the Batman, the animated series that that mm-hmm. sort of like morph suit or, you know, that onesie if you will but it's got like <laughs> the sleeves are cut out of it and it's just sort of kind of appears on his like there's question marks on his shoulders he's kind of got what looks like either a mustache or paint coming out of the sides of his mouth and he's wielding this golden scepter around with a question mark which of course is a, a pretty classic riddler thing but also gives you mm-hmm. gives you flashbacks to the jim carrey riddler so it's it's very interesting it takes on its own identity and i, I don't Looking back at it, I don't think I liked it at the time, but I love now that they at least tried to do their own thing with this character. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's kind of, I think since, probably since Batman the Animated Series, there's kind of been two ways to go with Riddler. It's either a take on the original look or the, the Super Friends look, the, you know, uh, the one the onesie with the purple gloves and the, the, the you know, the, and the, and the question marks everywhere, or you do the the suit with the you know with some kind of with the hat and everything. And so this version being a uh, a little bit more, uh, as you said, still definitely in the vein of the uh, any of those those classic uh, Silver Age Riddlers, but really just its own unique thing. And so many of the uh, of the character designs, as we mentioned, if you you know if you look at the Joker, if you look at Bane and Penguin and and some of those other characters in this series, they all had such unique looks. So coming in here with a really, really unique Riddler design, even when you, there's a couple of close 
clips on him where he, he seems to have like really pronounced fangs in his teeth. Like you don't often in cartoons like this see like teeth actually drawn in. Usually it's just like the two white blocks in their mouth, but he specifically has those, uh, you know, those, uh, those fangs kind of drawn in there. Yeah. He has a very Marilyn Manson's a really good shout. I think this, there's definitely some of, uh, some of that, uh, in, in his, uh, his DNA here, but yeah, it's, it is really interesting. And yeah, just being this sort of tall, very, very skinny looking character. It's, it's really, really memorable. And yeah, I think it fits in. It's not necessarily what I would think of as a like classic Riddler design, obviously, um, but also I think that's why it works. It totally fits with that sort of really more out there, you know, somewat, uh, you know, anime or manga inspired designs that a lot of these characters took on in the series with, uh, I believe Jeff Matsuda was the, was sort of the, uh, the lead character designer for this series. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really striking and it, yeah, it totally fits into this, this sort of really sort of stylized world that, that, that he exists in. Yeah, I, I agree. That so I think I think that's the big thing to talk about, especially for this episode. And I remember that being such a such a, a very stark contrast that was sort of shocking when we first saw the Riddler and not not one that I necessarily loved at the time, but I, again, I think I can appreciate it now and, and see what they were going for, just something completely different and unique. Uh, on their own in their own way so uh, we actually don't get an origin story or why he looks the way that he does in this episode which is something again uh, back to the plot I think is unique we didn't get a whole why is he the way that he is they kind of leave that I think for later in the series but uh, so we don't quite know the origins of his his costume or why he looks the way he does or what his background is all we get is this information about him and it makes him as I said a very formidable foe in some of these fight scenes against batman where batman really gets his butt handed to him in in the majority of the the hand-to-hand combat that they do there he's he's getting the tar beat out of him and i think one of the one of the things that i really appreciated this this series and i don't remember off the top of my head because it's been so long since i've watched the series as a whole but i feel like maybe they toned they were since it was kids wb they were toning back down on some of the violence and they were trying not to show as much uh, violence on Saturday mornings, kind of getting back to the origins of some of those Batman, the animated series episodes where they wouldn't show as much versus the new Batman adventures where they kind of allowed a little bit more violence to take place on screen. But uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I feel like that they did to sort of to cover that up, they used those flashes where you see fists coming towards the screen and a bright flash and then the character falling back. But uh, one of the ones that I enjoyed was something that you probably wouldn't see is Batman getting his face and head bashed in by this this Riddler uh, Riddler staff. And in that final scene where they're going hand to hand, there's uh, they did this really neat trick where they show these silhouettes of them fighting and some flashing going on and Batman, you can see Batman's clear silhouette and the Riddler silhouette as they're fighting and the Riddler just smacking him around with this staff. And all you see is the silhouettes of it happening. So they kind of got away with a little being a little bit more violent than you would typically see. But I thought it was such a neat trick and a great visual uh, that it works so well. That was one of the things for me anyway, that stood out other than some of the puzzles and some of the ways, as I said, I think I think the bombs and the way that they were designed were very reminiscent uh, or or perhaps a, a source used for later on and something you might see in the Arkham games that day glow green color and um, I think I think we've talked about it before also I'm not a fan of like 
the baby poop green sky of Gotham. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's kind of distracting and, and makes it feel like there's some sort of gas attack happening at all times in Gotham. But it, again, it's a different take. They didn't go with the red skies, So they said, Hey, we'll go with the green sky of Gotham. Apparently. I can't believe you're glossing over referring to something as baby poop green. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, wasn't I can't believe you over. just expect me to continue on with this podcast <laughs> after, after dropping that beautiful nugget in there. But uh, yes, I, I, yeah, I think other elsewhere that that was kind of something we we touched on briefly in plot. There isn't a lot of like punching and kicking, and as you said, the the fights themselves have to kind of uh, certainly there were certain rules. I think they were trying to uh, adhere to about what kind of violence they could and couldn't show. But uh, yeah, I, I think the the standout bit, that bit at the end with Batman, the Riddler fighting in the tunnels, uh, there's a really, really cool shot I love where, you know, in the middle of the battle as, as Riddler's sort of attacking Batman with different things, he grabs like a, an electrical, a big electrical wire and pulls it out of the wall and then hits Batman with it. And you just see like the flashes of electricity and then you see the, their their silhouettes uh, against the wall of their shadows i think that's a really really cool shot and then that the final bit there is he tries to swing the the riddler cane down on batman and batman catches it and and gives him a a very a very solid quip that we will talk about in voice acting before before laying that that good punch in there i was like yeah i think there's some there's some fun stuff in there i like the uh elect the jetpack like the combination jetpack glider thing uh-huh. it's a glider but it also uh you can also also has some sort of propulsion to it so you can kind of zip around the skies of gotham with it i think that's kind of a fun way to get around and and uh for for batman in this in this episode because again he's kind of trying to stay out of the way so i thought that was kind of clever and, and a good reason to bring that uh bring that in so yeah, overall, I don't think there's anything spectacular in the individuals. Um, I, I said other than maybe that Riddler design, which I do, I do really enjoy for this series. But uh, overall, I still came to a, a pretty strong seven out of ten for my visual score. Same right here. I think um, they do use some CGI in this. Also, I did notice mm-hmm. it. It it certainly was the more refined cell shading on top of the CGI. I think some of the computer reveals and stuff, you know, descending from the ceiling, a couple of the a couple of the uh, parts of the the Riddler's puzzles, I think, were also CGI. But I I've pointed that out before in the past in Justice League Unlimited when they didn't do the cell shading over it and talked about how distracting it can be mm-hmm. and how how it really ages that. But I I feel like for the most part, um, while you can kind of tell because the movements stand out, they're they're not as fluid, ironically, as the rest of the show. I think that uh, they did a pretty good job of camouflaging it with the cell shading on top of it. So I did did want to point that out that that was that was great. And I I thought. Honestly, I thought the the machine that uh, they had Batman and and Detective Yin that actually was something that reminded me of the '60s Batman or Batman '66, where you have uh, you know this machine that the Riddlers hook two people up to, and one of them's going to get shocked if it's a, it's also a lie detector at the same time that <laughs> you can tell if Batman's telling a lie or not. So I thought just how gimmicky that was, but the way that the room looked and the way that it was set up, I thought was was a pretty neat visual and and ultimately uh that along with just the way that batman batman moves i think we talked about it in the first uh, first couple of episodes of this show that we've that we've covered but the, 
you know, the hashtag Kate movement, I got to bring it back here, but the, there's, there's a lot of great Kate movement for the way that this character was designed and the way that his Cape splays out. And you get that in, in a lot of the action sequences. And certainly, as you mentioned, as he's flying around on that bat jet pack and, and uh, the other, the only other thing that I'll mention is that there was, there was a pretty neat uh, use of a gadget that he uses that ultimately helps them solve the the van puzzle where at the very last second as the van, the van is speeding away, he throws this batarang that looks like it's a magnet that also has a camera in it. And that reminded me of something that you would see in the, in the fifties era of Batman comics, where it's a, it's a magnetic bat camera batarang uh, that allows him to follow behind the van and sort of continue to help detective Yin and solving the, the puzzle that she's working on. So I thought that was neat in that it was a throwback sort of that, to that weird sci-fi era. I think there's even a Batman cover where there's like a bunch of Batman batarangs on it from the detective comics run in that fifties sprang era where you, you, you see a bunch of batarangs. It just reminded me of that, but it was, it was modernized to fit into this Batman universe. So I, I appreciated that, but yeah, uh, not, not bad scores from either of us there with pretty strong seven out of 10. All right, Liam, let's move on to our music category for this week. So uh, as we have mentioned in the past before the theme for this first season and subsequently the, the sort of interludes that are played throughout most of the episode are directly responsible for the band U2's guitarist Edge. Uh, or the edge, if you will. And uh, that's pretty much what we get for the majority of, of the show is you get, uh, get these little sort of guitar riff interludes that both act as scene changes and also sort of punctuate uh, different conversations that people are having. But uh, it's, it's, not really, it's not really the main focus, I feel like, for this show. Yeah, we uh, yeah, and in this case, I didn't I didn't really pick up on like a specific refrain for the Riddler in any way. So you kind of have yeah, you have the action the action riffs, and you have the the sort of the choir moment, or as you said, sort of the the scene changes. Or uh, there's a I think there there's some cool moments with that. I think certainly uh, the theme itself, as you mentioned, is is pretty great. But then you do have the moment where. As uh, as Yin is sort of confronting the Riddler at the at the mainframe at City Hall, uh, and he sort of reveals that he's been aware that the Batman's been helping her this whole time, and Batman sort of is walking out of this this smoke that's that's behind her, and you just sort of see this, his silhouette forming, and then he walks out. You kind of get that that riff there is is kind of a cool moment. That's a little a uh, little goosebump inducing for me, but but yeah, it it is very reliant as far as the action beat go you have i think like really uh really fast paced like almost like drum machine kind of driving the the pace of the scene and then again that sort of the the light uh some some guitar and maybe a little synthesizer brought in over that but it's it is sort of uh you know i i don't i don't know if the word repetitive is the word i'm looking for but it's just it's very similar and uh and and it seems to sort of punctuate the whole show in in very similar scenes so it doesn't seem like we have the same sort of uh, style of music certainly as we're used to with our our main dcau shows uh yeah that being said i don't have anything particularly bad to say about the music so uh, i ended up giving it a five out of ten 
Yep, uh, I gave it a six out of ten just because I love the edges guitar riff and I I love <laughs> the intro season one intro of the Batman for life for me. Uh, the rest of the seasons can suck it, um, but yes, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They're fine. They're fine compositions. I'm just a fan of that season one guitar riff. So uh, just a slightly higher score for me on that one, but. That will take us to our final category of the day, Liam, which is going to be voice acting. And luckily for us, question mark, it is not a huge cast because we don't have a, have a ton of voices, not a ton of characters in this week's episode. But worth revisiting some of these characters that we may have mentioned before in past reviews since it's been over 100 episodes since we've really <laughs> talked about this show. Uh, let's talk about this week's voice cast. Yeah, very, very small cast. Uh, we do have uh, Jesse Cordy as Chief Rojas. Uh, folks would probably know him best as uh, LeFou in uh, Disney's Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> um, a really fun little pool there. Lots of other voice acting uh, credits to his name as well. But that was the, the first one that jumped out as me as uh, Gaston's uh, sort of oafish sidekick in, uh, in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, a classic there. But again, he, he is sort of all of the comic relief of the episode while while Batman and Yin are sort of solving all these riddles and it's this frantic sort of race against time and he's just he's he's just squeezing on this stress ball and yelling about how he hates riddles and and all this stuff it's it's a lot of fun yeah I feel like he hammed it up a little bit too much and maybe it's his maybe it's his history as you said said he's got a lot of voice acting uh, voice acting credits to his name but it did feel like more of an over-the-top Disney type of performance than you're used to of uh, for one of these cartoons that we we typically <laughs> do. so uh, it was a little bit distracting at times I did really honestly appreciate the like the whole trying to believe that this man doesn't understand when the line and it's not his fault, but it's just the way that the line was written and then his delivery <laughs> of it. But the, how do you get everything is ancient inside of me and you get to a museum? It was like, oh, come on, man. Like you're, you're not, you're, <laughs> you're a grown adult. You're a grown adult man. <laughs> like let's, let's put two and two together here. Like you're also, and I get it. Like the whole thing is he's the chief and he's a, he's a big idiot, but come on. Like, all right. So I, I didn't love his performance. I do love that last little bit, honestly, with him and the Riddler, though, because I guess it kind of ties to that. Like, he's such an idiot that he doesn't he doesn't believe that his own detective could be working alongside Batman. Like, that's how idiotic this guy is. So I guess in the end, it, it did work out. He, it was a fine performance, but there were at times where I was just like, all right, come on now. Let's let's give this guy less <laughs> less to do. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Uh, elsewhere in our cast, we have uh, the villain of our piece here, uh, a very a very famous name, I would think, to a lot of people listening here, uh, Robert Englund, uh, most famously known as the original, and I would say, you know, unquestionably, I would assume still the the favorite portrayal of one Frederick Krueger in uh, in uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Um, yeah, just an, an all-time horror movie legend here. And he does have a very... It's funny, because if you've ever listened to him speak in those movies, even if you've only seen a clip, he has this big sort of over-the-top booming voice, and he has this really, you know, it's it's, it's really kind of stereotypically, like, uh, you know, a angry horror movie. He's a, he's a talker. He's not, you know, he's not a silent killer. And it's really interesting, because 
if I did not read the credits, it does not to me sound like Freddy Krueger, this character, this Riddler character. Like he's, he's got a very sinister edge to him. And there's almost like, there's like a slight accent to him. And I think Mr. England, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if he is, is from the U S or not. Um, but, uh, but I, there's like a slight accent to it, but he has this real like sort of sinister kind of a little higher raspier voice to his portrayal. And he, he but I think he nails again, what we've talked about, this sort of eternal tones of a Riddler, which is just this, this guy who just constantly needs to sort of reinforce for himself that he is smarter than you. Almost done. Just a few more gigabytes, Riddler, sir. Then drain the brain. Freeze, Riddler. Knowledge is power, huh? A fitting heist for a brainiac, don't you think, Yinzi? If I need money, boom, instant access to Gotham's bank account numbers. If I want to shut down Gotham's transportation grid, boom, instant access to the technical specs. Information! It's all here in the city's mainframe, soon to be uploaded into mine! But aren't you the smart detective to see the riddles within my riddles? We can trade IQ scores when you're behind bars, Riddler. Would that be your IQ or the Batman's? I don't know what you're talking Please! Do you think I went to all the trouble to distract Gotham PD from my real crime? It was the Batman who concerned me. Isn't that right, Batman? now really yeah he, it's a great performance i i will give it that and i you i would not i'm i'm not a, a horror movie fan uh and i haven't seen but maybe if he portrayed i think i've seen part of freddy versus jason so if he was if he was yes. playing freddy and freddy versus jason then i've probably was, yes okay all right so then i have seen him in that and it, even even not having seen those movies you can't you can't miss the cultural impact that those movies have had and miss miss out on scenes or even even uh, clips or or clips of his portrayal of that character. But yeah, it's interesting because we we talked about it a lot in, in various different performances and in, in the other episodes and other shows that we've reviewed where you take a character who is so well known for one particular role and you put them in a different role, uh, a lot of times that can be distracting. A lot of times that can be, mm-hmm. that can that can even if they're a great on-screen actor, that doesn't always translate to them being a voice actor. Uh, so the fact that he was not only terrific in this role, but was almost unrecognizable as his role known on uh, as, as Freddy Krueger, uh, I think is, is doubly great because it, it proves that he has, has, uh, the ability to be dynamic in his performances uh, that he's able to emote different, uh, different characters and come up with it, this character's own way to speak and communicate and his own sort of motive for his, uh, for his, the way that he acts. So uh, yeah, I, I think it's a great performance for this week and uh, hats off to him because uh, you know, the greats that we talk about for the DCAU are, are people sometimes that uh, especially in the case of, of Mark Hamill, obviously who are well known for, other roles but when they step into this world this is the, it, it's completely forgettable those roles don't even those don't even come into your mind when you honestly think about it if you if you don't think about it absolutely yeah i think that's a, that's a great way of, of phrasing it there but uh elsewhere in our, our pretty small voice cast we have our 
secondary lead character here. We have, of course, Ellen Yin, played by Ming-Na Wen, who, uh, speaking of Disney, of course, was the voice of the animated Mulan, but uh, probably more modernly uh, would be known as uh, Fennec Shand on the on the uh, Book of Boba Fett and Mandalorian shows. There you go. I knew I recognized that voice from someplace. Uh, she's great. I think that, and that's this is another case of an of an actress who I think um, sometimes I think I'm a fan of the the Mandalorian and, and the Book of Boba Fett series and that whole. Mm-hmm. And I think that her performance in that show sometimes can come off a little wooden at times. Uh, but I think some of it is because she's meant to be sort of an emo- emotionalist person. So um, with that said, I think that her role as Detective Yin in this is is great. She's uh, she comes off despite despite her character maybe not uh, not acting like it. She comes off very intelligently. I think she uh, she comes off as a great. Uh, ally for batman and i like the fact that uh, they pair her well and she pairs well with uh with our batman voice here that we'll discuss in a second that uh you know uh, ultimately I, I feel like they have some good chemistry and it's a, it's a very believable relationship but I, I love i love that they went with a you know a strong female lead for this this a an original character and they chose somebody with some some pretty good voice acting chops to do the role Absolutely. Yeah, I, th- I think she's really good. She has this sort of stern, uh, no-nonsense uh, thing about her, but she also, you know, is 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 very clearly passionate about, uh, you know, about about justice. And she, you know, her interactions with Robert Anglin, I think, is as he's sort of taunting her from behind a screen, and, and she's sort of declaring that she's gonna, you know, she's gonna track him down and take him down. I think I think she's she's a good. Uh, heroic foil for the Riddler here. And then, yeah, I think, I think her, and of course our, our, our Batman of the piece, this being Reno Romano, who uh, a voice again, you may recognize from uh, doing various voiceover work for, for uh, the major television networks in the U S or you, or you may know him uh, perhaps if you're a fan of short-lived bad cartoons, uh, Spider-Man unlimited. Uh, of course he was the voice of Spider-Man on that show. Um uh, no, I kind of have a soft spot for that show, even though it's not uh, not particularly good. But uh, I haven't I haven't watched it in uh, I don't know eighteen years. But I feel like there's no way it can be anywhere near as good as I think that it might have been. So I'll just, <laughs> I'll just never watch it, just in case it is really really bad. So <laughs> I think that's a, that's probably the best uh, the best strategy there. Um, but but yeah, I think he he does he gets probably a lot less to do because again, this is really more of a Yin, Yin and Riddler, Ming Nguyen and, and Robert England really kind of control the this episode from uh, from a voice acting standpoint. But he's just, you know, he's just kind of there in the background. And I, you know, I think maybe the best stuff with him is is that that final scene where he gets to, as we mentioned, he gets to throw in his quip as he as he catches the the Riddler's cane and and asks him what's black and blue and green all over. Uh, that's a it's a it's a very cheesy again a very sort of cheesy line but it's uh it's delivered again with complete uh, sort of sincerity there's no winking at the camera so to speak with that so I think I think that's the way to do it if you're doing if Batman's doing a quip you got to kind of go you kind of got to give it the full like uh, the sneering Clint Eastwood sort of grit to it even if it's a, a kind of a silly line and I think uh, I think Mr. Romano does that here yeah I think I think he's fine I I, I think we've talked about that uh, and we have talked about it in prior DCAU episodes that sometimes when the main character takes a back seat, that 
allows them to sort of sort of uh, show and and their their chops in a different way. And I think that scene ultimately where uh, she uh, he and and uh, Detective Yin work together and sort of outsmart and begin frustrating the Riddler and really show this chemistry that they've developed and how they can work well uh, together and then. Uh, uh, you know, splitting up and and ultimately reuniting at the end there to uh to his to his delight to see the detective Ian has sort of already taken care of the Riddler's goons. Um, I I love their chemistry. I think that his his Batman not having as much dialogue in this, other than sort of walking through some of the puzzles, uh, is a, a perfect showcase for him. And it's not too much. It's not too little. And it, and I think it really allowed those times where he did speak and the times that he did have dialogue to sort of stand out a little bit more. So I had no, no issue with his, his performance this week. Yeah. So, uh, and that is kind of the end of our voice cast there. So yeah, all things considered, like I said, I think the, the strength of, of Ming-Na Wen as, as Ian and Robert England as Riddler uh, gave me, uh, I think, like I said, I think it's a pretty strong episode, even if the, the material isn't necessarily the strongest, I think, the actors uh, involved here kind of elevated the material to an extent. And uh, I settled on a pretty, pretty strong eight out of 10 for my voice score. Nice. Uh, I went just a couple points lower because while I thought everybody was great, I didn't think there was anything that necessarily blew me out of the water, so to speak. Um, so I, I went with a six out of 10 for my score, but uh, I, I don't think there's, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving higher marks simply <laughs> just for some of the reasons that we talked about. So uh Good answer. Good answer, as they say on family. <laughs> All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to our final scores for today. Tallying everything up, I end up with a 25 out of 40. What about you? Yeah, I am, I am just a, a couple points higher. In fact, I think just one point higher. I have a 26 out of 40 as my final score. There you go. All right. Well, I guess, Liam, that brings us, it's always hard with our Elseworlds tales here and trips around the multiverse when we talk about rewatchability, because this has no bearing on our overall watch of the DCAU. And this, this show in and of itself is self-contained. There's nothing that happens after the Batman. There's no Justice League or continuation of the, of the Matsudaverse, so to speak. So um, I, I guess, Self-contained looking at it, if you're going to do a watch, uh, a complete watch through or a, a watch of the, the important episodes, I guess a debut of a villain is pretty important if you're going to watch some of them, especially one of Batman's the top three or four rogues, I'd say, when it comes to the Riddler. So um, I'd say I'd say it's a it's a one thumb up. It's probably if you're doing a watch through of this show specifically, I think it's, it's a must. I think if you're looking at all of the episodes and which are the best episodes to watch, maybe not, but uh, it's, it's a pretty, pretty pivotal one based on, on who the villain is. Yeah. I'd agree with that completely. It's uh, yeah, it's the introduction of, as you said, the, the classic Batman rogue and then, also, as uh, you know, certain plot points like we talked about with uh, Batman sort of secretly working with Detective Yin is sort of a thread that continues all throughout this second season of the show before uh, before they kind of change things up in the uh, the later seasons here. But uh, yeah, I would say that's that's worth a worth a rewatch or a watch for uh, just for that. And the Riddler does return a couple of times more in in this series and. And so, yeah, I think I think you got to watch the the debut of one of those I, iconic Gotham villains. And uh, yeah, and even though as this is kind of an example, I don't know if we've had too many of these as of late, but 
we, where we'll talk about a, uh, you know, the scores don't always necessarily reflect how much we enjoyed an episode. Because yeah, this was a, this was a breeze to get through as far as a uh, an episode to watch and uh, and review. But uh, you know, even though if it's not a you know an all time great among the the things we reviewed, it's you know it's a fun way to to spend a twenty twenty one minutes and and uh, and you get uh, the the very unique take of the uh, the Riddler look and everything in this series. So yeah, that's that's an easy one thumb up, I think. There we have it. All right, man. Well, that will begin to wrap us up for this week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget to give us the old subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if it allows you, leave a review. A five-star one would be much appreciated if you so choose to do so. A little blurb about what you like to, if your podcast app allows you to do that, would be great. Don't forget, you can also, as mentioned before, you can get all of your DCAU content on the Pod Tower on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Pod Tower, along with our other friends at Tim Talk and the Watchtower Database. Also, if you want to support the podcast, a couple of ways to do that besides subscribing, subscribing to us on the YouTube channel is a big help to us. Uh, you can also, if you want to su- support us monetarily, man, why? I don't know, but hey, we, we'd be happy to take it. Thank you so much. Uh, there's a link at the bottom <laughs> of all of our Anchor podcast episodes. You can click on if you want to do that, if you want to support us that way, or head over to dcaureview.com and you can check out our store, get yourself a piece of merch if you wish. Uh, don't forget you can follow us also on our social media at DCAU Review, both on Twitter and Instagram. Liam, we are finally here. It is a huge week coming up for us here at the DCAU Review. We are on the precipice of number 200 our 200th episode. I uh, thought we would never get here. I don't think we ever had ideas that we would reach 200 episodes, not even <laughs> counting our bonus episodes, but it's 200 in our standard uh, standard episodes here. So it's, it's a big week coming up here. Next week, uh, we've actually already spoiled this. If you checked out our appearance on Nathan uh, Nathan's Superman, the animated podcast, uh, you, you heard us talk a little bit about that. So some of you, if you check that appearance out, you already know. But Liam, we have an exciting uh, return to where we all started here back, uh, back way back on episode one with returning to the world of, well, it's all the same world, but the original series we're covering. <laughs> we're going back to covering Batman, the animated series for for episode number 200. That's right. And we have, a, I think, an appropriately uh, a large and, and big important episode to talk about. In fact, it's two episodes. And that is the, the full debut of Ra's al Ghul and uh, all that that implies in The Demon's Quest Parts 1 and 2, an absolute classic, uh, if for no other reason than because of how much footage from it is used in the Adventures of Batman and Robin title sequence. Uh, which we will certainly get into a little bit of that, of the, the changeover with the show from Batman the Animated Series to the Adventures of Batman and Robin and, and some of that as, uh, as we get into the, the latter half of these original uh, 65 episodes here. So uh, lots, still lots of BTAS and then of course the new Batman Adventures to talk about still to come on our, on our show in the next uh, the months and years to come here. But uh, a really big, uh, important two episodes to talk about and what better place been on your favorite podcast app or the Pod Tower YouTube channel for our 200th episode. 
That is right. And we have some exciting things to announce about our, the rest of the month on, on that episode as well. So you are not going to miss it. Excited to talk about that with you. But until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we'll talk to you on the 200th episode of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye.